The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Wow. That's an intimidating uh, introduction. <laughs> um, so I, I was going to actually, it's a pleasure to be here with you today, by the way. Um, I was going to actually do a quick little introduction of myself as well. I'm not sure I really need to, but let me just go through this. I have a lot of hats that I wear. Um, so I'll start out with just showing you some of them. Of course, you know I am the wife of the university president. Um, I am a mother. I have two, we have two children, Connor and Caitlin. They're both grads of Cairn. They're both alum. Some of you know them. Uh, recently, I've become a Navy mom. Connor is in active duty with the US Navy. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Apparently, this Navy mom, it's a thing. I don't know. I saw a lot of things about it. So. Um, I'm a nurse, and I've been a nurse for 32 years. Um, thank you. <laughs> love this title. It's a homemaker. I love to bake. I like to can. I even like to clean. I like to keep our house in order. I like to just keep things going. I'm a hostess, and you've already heard uh, we're hosting the garden party. This is my plug. Come, come. <laughs> I am a gardener. Um, I'm also a backpacker. <laughs> I love outdoors things. Um, I like to go canoeing. My most recent hat, and it literally is a hat, uh, is that I am a beekeeper. So I, <laughs> I'm excited to share a little bit about that with you. Um, I actually could talk a long time about bees. I, I could just go on about bees, but then I know that I would put almost all of you to sleep in the first five minutes. So, um, but I do want to share some fun facts. I, I actually would like to someday get a bee uh, club started here at the university. So we'll see if we can make that happen, but maybe to entice some of you to be interested in such an endeavor, I'm going to share a few fun facts. Did you know that it takes 12 bees their entire lifetime to produce one teaspoon of honey? Now, for perspective, their life expectancy in the summer is about five to six weeks. So 12 bees, it takes them five to six weeks to produce one teaspoon of honey. Next time you have honey on your teaspoon and you lay it in the sink and there's still honey on it, shame on you. <laughs> Pick it up, eat it, savor every drop. It takes them a long time to get that honey together. A honeybee will fly far. They can fly two miles to find the right nectar sources. Um, some, some sources even say they fly up to three to four miles. How fast can they fly? They can fly 15 miles an hour. So when you're going through the school zone next time, you can beware that there is a bee flying right alongside of you. Um, how many bees live in a hive? This hive that I have up here, the little picture, especially this tall one right here, um, I'm not going to ask you to guess, I'm just going to tell you, 50,000 bees in one hive alone. If it's a healthy, vibrant hive, it could be up to 80,000 bees in that hive. How many flower visits does one bee make in a day? This is amazing. 2,000 to 5,000 flower visits in a day. 
So you can see I could go a long, long time. Um, but I wanted to, like, actually, this is chapel, so we want to talk about God a little bit here. Um, <laughs> um, I actually right away started thinking about marveling at God's creation, and thus the songs that are... Thank you, musicians. What a beautiful choice of songs this morning. <laughs> turning our eyes and turning our hearts right to God's creation, and this is what I thought I was going to do. I thought I might just marvel at God's creation, and then I was talking to my husband about my chapel message and just thinking about it a little bit. And he said to me, what do you want, after being with students these years, what do you want them to know? What's on your heart? What do you, what do you really think they need to hear? And I have to tell you, um, the thing that came to my mind was something a little different than that. It was, I actually thought to myself, I think I need to challenge them to seek God with their whole hearts. There is a lot of pressures around us, and you all know what they are, things that draw our minds and hearts away from God. And I just would like to challenge you to seek God with your whole heart. Um, I think sometimes we think that the idea of God's amazing creation and seeking him with our whole heart might actually be unrelated topics but when I started studying, I found that they're completely related. Um, and so today, I would like to take you down this path. We want to start by looking at the idea of seeking God with your whole heart. We are going to marvel at his wondrous creation, which will lead us to trust him and be anxious for nothing. So... Uh, Couple, many years ago, 15 years ago, when I started backpacking, I copied a portion of scripture out of my Bible, slapped it between a couple pieces of packing tape to make it waterproof, clipped it to the outside of my backpack so that I could read it. I've been reading this passage of scripture for a really long time. It's always been an encouragement for, to me. It's Matthew 6. Uh, Matthew 6 is a uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a part that gives us some insight into how I've found that seeking God with your whole heart and marveling at his creation actually goes together. Ah, so we're going to read this passage of scripture right now. Um, I put it up on the screen in case you don't have your Bibles with you, although everybody has a Bible on their phone these days, right? Um, but let's just do it like this, because I put these little graphics up here for you to appreciate God's creation. Um, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is, uh, today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying... What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So you can read through this a little bit, and it looks like anxiety is the theme here. It feels like it. I understand that. But I actually think that there's way more going on here. So you'd have to, I'm going to encourage you to go back today and read all of chapter 6. Actually, read the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's wonderful. Chapter 6, is. there's lots of little vignettes where Jesus is teaching us how to be his disciples. But in chapter 6, he begins with this little phrase. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And every little subject he addresses in that chapter, going all the way down to the end of the chapter where where you land at this section, um, is talking about how we do our acts of righteousness. He's assuming that we are believers already and that we are already doing these acts of righteousness. We're already giving to the needy. We're already engaged in prayer. We're already fasting. These are the things he's telling us, but he's telling us how to do it, and he's getting at our hearts. So when he's telling us to pray, we're supposed to pray privately. When he's telling us about fasting, we're supposed to be praying, not scrunching our faces up and letting everybody know how miserable we are. We're supposed to have our focus on God, not the people around us. When we are giving to the needy, our right hand is not supposed to know what our left hand is doing. It's secret because we are giving it to God and God alone. Um, We're not to be laying up treasures in heaven. We're not supposed to be valuing money above God. All of these things are pointing to us to seek God. And then you go down to verse 33, and we we see that he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So um, I started looking up a lot of seeking God verses all through the Bible. I wanted to get a feeling for what that trend is in the Bible. And I went to Moses in Deuteronomy 4.29. I'm going to read you that verse. It says, and this is important, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. But from there is, the, is important in this example, because he's talking, Moses is addressing the Israelites at that time, and they have already been through all the miracles, some failures, they worshiped a calf, uh, they, uh, some, some trials that they've been through, they've been through all that, and now they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and Moses is actually almost telling them that you are going to fail, you're going to fall away, you're going to be disobedient, you, he doesn't come right out and say, but he says, Now, when you get into the land and all these other things happen and you will be be spread out among the nations, but from there, from there, you will find him if you search with him for your uh, your whole heart. He's talking to his children. That's all of us as believers because God knows, Jesus knows we are going to be tempted. We are going to be tempted to be disobedient. We're going to be tempted to take our eyes off the Lord. But from there, we can still seek him. And so I am asking you all to continue to seek him from any point where you are, any place, any place of disobedience. What are the things that are keeping your eyes from following after him? What are those things? Are they good things? It could be your studies. It could be serving. It could be all kinds of good things. Maybe you like doing righteous acts. Maybe you enjoy that. That comes easy to you. 
but it makes you feel good, and all the people around you are noticing that you're so good. So that could be something. Could be actually taking your eyes off God himself. Or maybe you really are struggling with sin. Maybe you want to break covenant because it feels a little edgy, like you just think that's good. Maybe you struggling with pornography. I don't know what, what it is that's coming between you and the Lord. Whatever it is, from there, if you seek the Lord with your whole heart, he can be found. So how do we do this? How do we seek the Lord with our whole hearts? Jesus tells us how. He turns our eyes to the natural world. This isn't the only way. This is just his example right here. I love this example. I've used it throughout my whole life. I've been walking this path, and this cycle helps me. I hope it helps you too. I seek him, and then I turn my eyes to the natural world so I can see how God cares for his created things, his created creatures. And that gives me confidence and strength as I seek him. Psalm 104, 24. Actually, all of Psalm 104 is a wonderful uh, psalm. If you're ever out in creation, like our family has been, we've often used this psalm to just bring our hearts close to the Lord. But verse 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Uh, He talks about the birds. He talks about, uh, you know, all these other little things. He didn't talk about bees, but I'm going to (laughs) today, because I want you to see how amazing he designed bees, because I think that he might have, you know. Um, Did you know there are 60 verses in the Bible that have honey references? Um, Honey is really important, and one of the most important things is that in the beginning, God promised as they went into Canaan, they were going into the land, These these are followers of him going to the land of milk and honey. Honey was a treasure. Uh, Solomon used honey as a special gift to uh, honor other kings when they came to visit. He used them to bribe other kings to do things. Honey is a treasure, okay? So it's one of the earliest forms of sweetener that humans can consume. And actually, bees are the only insect that produce something that humans can actually consume. In the ancient times, the, they mostly did collections of honey in the wild, like John the Baptist, okay? Um, then there was a period of time that we used skeps, which were baskets that were turned upside down, um, that bees could get in. The problem with them is that once you had a bee colony filled, you had to destroy the basket to get the honey out. Um, so um, early beekeeping actually started maybe around in Egypt around 2400, where they actually were organized doing kind of a, a form of like this. Everything changed around the Victorian era um, is when uh, they started making movable frame hives. So I'm just going to give you a little background. I know this is sort of now turning into a class. I don't want it to be that way because we're going to still be amazed at what God can do. So as humans and bees have become interactive, we, have, we find that um, this is the most popular form of beehive still to this day. In 1852, this man in the center, Reverend Langstroth, designed a movable frame hive where the frames could be placed into the boxes in a row and the bees naturally build their comb on these frames and it, they can be moved in and out. So we won't have to destroy the hive to get the honey out. Um, 
Reverend Langstroth had a few health issues, um, but he was all about the bees. Uh, at some point, he used it to actually help him in his uh, preaching. And I just have to read a quote that he said. Um, he says, the creator has stamped the seal of his infinity on all his works. In none of them, however, has he displayed himself more clearly than in the economy of the honeybee. To his fellow ministers, he wrote this book and he addressed them. He thought the beekeeping should be a minister's occupation, always. Um, and he addressed those ministers and he said, an intimate acquaintance with the wonders of the beehive, while beneficial to you in many ways, might lead you in your preaching to imitate more closely the example of him who illustrated his teachings by the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, as well as the common walks of life and the busy pursuits of men. Langstroth even saw what I saw in Matthew 6. He used the same verses. Um, so that's very exciting. So let's look a little bit here at this hive. I just want to show you these two, these two bottom boxes are called deeps, and, or they're called brood boxes. This is where the, they're bigger. You can see they're bigger than the top two. They're bigger, they, ha they house the queen and all of her little worker bees, and this is where she lays all of her eggs, and the worker bees rear their young in those bottom boxes. This is their front door. Um, this little tiny thing that goes right in between here is, is, a, is a queen excluder. It keeps her from traveling up into the upper parts uh, so that she can't lay her eggs up in, the, in there. This is only for honey. So the worker bees are small enough to get through, the screen, she is bigger, she can't get through. She keeps her brood down in here, and the worker bees go up here and gather surplus honey. That's where we come in. We get to keep the honey in the top. They, this is what's amazing about bees, is God designed them to have an instinct to collect way more honey than they actually need. They don't need that much. God made it so that we can use it. And this is what we do. We harvest the honey out of these two boxes, the tops. Also, that's interesting to note on this one is the, uh, this pattern of the bees resting on the outside of the hive. We call it bearding because it looks like the hive has a beard. Um, it's actually a cooling mechanism. They hang out there to get themselves cool, and they also like stand in the doorway and flutter their wings to make air circulate through the hive. They keep the hive at a constant temperature of 90 to 95 degrees to keep the queen the happiest she can be. And that's even when it's 17 degrees outside. This colony will maintain itself all through the winter, circling around her in a ball, taking turns going inside and outside the ball so that she can stay at her comfortable temperature of 90 to 90. They're the only bee that winters as a colony. All other bees, at the end of the season, that queen will mate She'll get into the ground, she'll hibernate, she'll come out and lay, all the other relatives will die, and she will come out and have to start over again in the spring. Not the honeybee. The honeybee holds themselves over the winter. Oops, wait a minute. Okay, so these are a couple of interesting slides. You can see the, uh, the little frame, okay? There's capped honey at the top. Uh, oh, here's my little pointer, sorry. Capped honey. I don't know what I'm doing there. Okay, there. And then you can see there's like pollen in here. And you can actually see some other pollens in these other slides too. They're colorful usually. Yellow, red, green, they're blue. They're all different colors. And then this is the capped brood. This is where she's laid eggs and the little babies are starting to grow. And then this is actually the worker bee brood. It looks different than the male. The, all worker bees are female. 
There's only a few males in this society. We don't need men. This is not an example. <laughs> this is not an example of how we should be. I'm not saying that. <laughs> But the males are pretty unimportant. In fact, at the end of the year, when they're getting ready to do the winter cluster, they kick the men out. No men survive the winter. Only the females survive the winter. Um, this slide is great because it shows the queen cells. The queen cells are definitely bigger and longer because we said, look at how big she is. She's huge. She's long, and she has broad shoulders, and she has shorter wings. Actually, her wings are, are probably the same as these guys, but. She's such a long body, they look short. Here's the little worker bee. She's the female, she does it all. And then here is the drone. He does one thing, he mates with the queen in the spring. That's it, and then he dies. Um, <laughs> so that is a, just sort of a showing you just the nature of it, um, of the honey. But I have to tell you, uh, I'm just gonna quickly tell you how great honeycomb is. We could, you'll have to join my club if you want to know more details, but I have to tell you, right now we're just going to talk about comb, only honeycomb. It's where the, everything happens. It is where life happens in the hive. All the eggs are laid there. All the nectar is stored there. All the pollen is stored there. Stored there. Then the, uh, the worker bees take the nectar and they change it into honey. And when it gets to the right water consistency, the 17% water in the, in the nectar, they actually cap it off and it becomes that capped honey up there. So they know exactly when to put the cap on, when it's mature and ready. Um, so comb is pretty cool. It takes, it's, it's only produced for about one week in a bee's life. So in the life cycle of bees, when a little tiny bee is born, when they're age 12 to 20 days old, they have a capability of producing wax. The wax comes uh, out the back of them, on the back end of their bodies, there are eight little wax-producing uh, glands. They take nectar and water, and they produce this little wax. It's only the size of a pinhead. They can only make about 100 pinheads in their whole life. And then a new bee is born and starts the process. Other bees collect it from them when they're putting out that wax, and they massage it and chew it up. And then they stick it in and make this comb. And the comb is perfect. Look, it's a hexagonal shape. It is six sides perfectly around. It, it, there's no wasted space in a hive. There are six sides and 100, precise 120 degree angles, and this is how God precisely cares for these bees. Wow, amazing, amazing. So this frame shows you some slides, show you some interesting things. Again, we have the, the queen, and you can see she's being attended by her attendants right here. And then you can see some capped honey, and you can see pollen. And this is kind of what a frame looks like when it's really actively being busied by the bees, by the workers taking care of everything. But I love this one. This shows the bees in the wild. Do you see why Reverend Langstroth actually made the movable comb uh, frames like this because bees naturally produce their comb in these long slender sheets so that they can work in and out and so we just he just used that idea and plopped them into the, a, a, a wooden frame that they we can move in and out so that's all really cool God says Jesus says that he cares about you more than them 
He cares about you more than them. His care, the lilies, the birds, they don't have anything compared to how much he compares. So that's a pretty amazing thing. Right after marveling about God's goodness, we see that he told us that we need to seek after him. And we can see that if we go back to look in those verses, we see that we are addressing anxiety in that because as we understand and know how much he loves and cares for his creation and us, we can trust him. We do not need to worry. Anxiety doesn't really have a place in our life. Now, I know some of you are struggling with severe anxiety. I've talked to you. I know you're out there. And I'm not saying this is a quick fix for that problem. I'm encouraging you to begin a cycle of your life doing just what Jesus did here. I want you to think about that cycle, seeking after him with your whole heart, recognizing his care of creation, and allowing that to inspire you to trust him, to trust him and not be anxious. So I'm going to ask you, are you seeking God with your whole heart? Haven't we marveled today at his wondrous works? Be anxious for nothing. (laughs) Join my bee club. Come and find out more. (laughs) Copy Matthew 6 onto a little thing and strap it to your backpack. Whatever you have to do, just make this your pattern of living. Be intentional about focusing on him, his ways, and his reason for being able to trust him. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your amazing creation. I thank you how intimately you have shown us things that will uh, turn our hearts towards you. I, Lord, pray now that every single student here, every single faculty member, staff person that is listening will just be inspired by you, Lord, in their hearts to seek after you, to marvel at who you are, and then in turn to trust you with their whole hearts. And I just pray all this in your precious son's name. Amen.